Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. I believe your past has been forgiven. You're a brand new person in Jesus Christ. You start fresh from that place and you're allowed to remarry who? A believer. You got it. Now, there is a chance that if you come to Jesus Christ and you were divorcing your spouse and your spouse has not remarried and they desire to go on with the marriage now that they've seen the change in you or whatever, I think you have to pray about that. Could that be messy? Yep. But God likes messes. He just corrects them. Marriages can endure some extreme difficulties and still survive. The Lord esteems the covenant of marriage and desires that restitution be made between spouses when there's been a rift. But in some marriages, that won't be possible. God permits divorce in those situations, but there may still be scars and hurt. God will forgive those past mistakes and leave them in the past. He wants us to first be fulfilled by His grace and love. As people, we tend to judge and condemn sin that we see in others. But Jesus says that old things have passed away and that all things have become new. Even after the messiness of divorce, the Lord can provide hope. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 9, with the conclusion of our message entitled, Remodeling and Rebuilding Your Home. From the outward, if you take my wife and I, Linda, here, we've been married almost 32 years, we're two individual people. But if you look below us in the spiritual and the intimacy part of our life, what are we? We're just totally mingled all together. Now that's, that's the oneness that God is causing in our life. Remember, it doesn't destroy individual people. You're two. Now, if I decide I'm tired of this pot, I want to go elsewhere. And I say to my wife, I'm leaving. If I do that, what happens below? I start, what? Disturbing the roots, because they're intertwined like this. I hurt my roots. I hurt my wife's roots. I cause all kind of aggravation and death. That's why God hates divorce. There's no little clean little break, pick it up and move. You have all kinds of experiences that you rip and you tear and you shred and you hurt. And when you're transplanted to the next place, you just don't say, wow, that was neat, real easy, clean cut. We have no fault, divorce, nothing to it. We're amicable. No such thing. Now the problem is that's bad enough. But then we have little plants that have grown between these two. And they have their roots. And what happens to the little plants when one picks up and leaves? The innocent little plants are destroyed. They're hurting. Innocent people hurting because of two selfish adults. And God loves little children. And that's another reason he hates divorce. Now, he doesn't hate the people. He hates divorce because he knew Satan would destroy it. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 19 quickly. 
Here are the biblical grounds for divorce. Because God loved us, he permitted options. Notice the wording that I just gave you. Permitted options. Look at me. God's perfect plan is always for restitution. He doesn't want divorce ever being number one option. He always wants restitution and restoration. Always. But because he knows people's hearts are hard, sometimes he permits it. Biblical grounds, chapter 19, verse 9. I tell that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So the first of those three biblical grounds for divorce, this is my feeling, there's people, good people that have maybe different feelings. You'll have to study this because it's a very difficult subject for yourself. Number one is persistent lifestyle of sexual immorality. A persistent lifestyle of sexual immorality. Jesus says because of man's selfishness and sinfulness, God will permit divorce for the one cause right here of, of marital unfaithfulness. The word is pornea, which is a Greek word that we get our word for pornography. So here's what Jesus says. If one spouse is relentless, persistent, unrepentant in their lifestyle of marital unfaithfulness, of homosexuality, bestiality, incest, pornography, and of course adultery, if that person is unrepentant, continually having those unfaithful times, not a one-time act, not a one-time failure of lust for whatever, but an over-repeating lifestyle, then for the safety of the other spouse, especially in our day and age with AIDS and all this, God permits divorce for the safety of the other spouse that's left. Would God like to restore this marriage? Yes. But God permits divorce for the safety of the one spouse. Again, it's a persistent lifestyle. It's not a one-time or a two-time or whatever. It's a persistent lifestyle of unrepentant. person says, I repent. Next week, they're out having an affair. I repent. Three months from now, they're out having an affair. I repent. Five months, they're out having an affair. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning around and walking the other way. So it's a big difference. People can say all kinds of things they want. is isn't repentance at all. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 quickly. So that's the first biblical grounds for divorce. Now Paul, remember, is in this pagan area. Jesus has been speaking basically to Jews, but Paul is in this, this pagan area. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's going to talk about two Christians getting a divorce. And here's what he says. Verse 10. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. So Paul says, if, if there's no sexual immorality that's ongoing, if it's not going on and on and on, then there's really what he's saying here, and this goes for a husband or a wife, there is no reason, listen to me, there is no reason for a Christian husband and a Christian wife to get a divorce. Now that's a hard statement, but here's why he says it. If I'm first of all a Christian, then I mean, that means I'm committed to God. And that means I'm obeying God. That means my heart is open. I'm not sinning. I'm getting repentance. I'm changing my lifestyle. So God says, if you have two people that are committed to God, how would they ever end up in a divorce? Because God hates divorce. Do we have Christians that do divorce? Yes. For reasons other than unfaithfulness? Yes. Is it wrong? Yes. Does God forgive them? Yes. You hear me say many times, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. But you remember the roots. You remember the roots. So, Paul says, because he is realistic, look at verse 11. 
But if she does, or he does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. In other words, if there's some reason for safety reason or whatever, a husband and wife come in and, and they're just fighting and they're angry and whatever and they've been going through this process for a long time, sometimes I might even recommend a separation while they search and hope God. Notice what that verse says, till they get back together. That, that's the purpose, just to separate to get back together. So for two Christians who are really serving God, I don't see an out. Do they still do it? Yes. Does God still take them where they're at and restore them? Yes, if they're repentant. But it's better not to do it. Because what you're saying is this, that God's power isn't great enough to keep us together. And that's really a horrible thing to say. Now we go on in 1 Corinthians 7, and Paul then takes a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. Remember what happened. You can picture it. Let's say in those days, everybody was pagan, which they pretty much were in Corinth, and a wife comes home, she's heard Paul at the church, he came Sunday morning, she got saved, and she's going on with God, and she comes home, and she says to her husband, who's a pagan, I'm going to serve this God, this Jesus Christ, I found out he's the way, the truth, and life, the gods we've been serving weren't true, and my life has been changed, and the husband says, well, big, big deal, whatever, you can do whatever you want, but I'm not interested in that. She comes back to Paul and says, well, man, my husband really isn't interested in this kind of stuff, should I get a divorce and find another husband that's kind of like me. Well, it sounds logical, doesn't it? And it sounds right. Well, Paul had to address this because it was a practical issue. So we have a believer and unbeliever. Let's see what he says in verse 12. To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. In other words, Jesus didn't address this specifically because he was talking to Jewish people. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must what? Not divorce her. So you need to understand these principles. That's why we're going through the word. So you'll know what it means about marriage and divorce. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must what? Not divorce him. So what Paul says is if the unbelieving spouse wants to remain in the marriage, what should happen? You should stay together. Because why? God loves marriage and he hates Divorce, it's not complicated, it's very simple. That's what he says. Now look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be clean, but as it is, they are holy. So what happens? Let's say this lovely wife goes and becomes a Christian, and she comes home and there's this pagan husband. Just hates God. Just really hates God. And she says to him all these things. She says, rolling, rolling, rolling. I just met God. He just changed my life. Did all these neat things in my life. And he says, well, I'll stay with you. It's okay. I'm not going to go to church with you. But I'll stay with you. Let's just keep the marriage going. What, what should she do? She says, stay. Now, the Bible says why. Because with this believing wife... There's going to be some influence that's going to rub off on this pagan husband. And with her gentleness and kindness and perfectness, what's going to happen? This guy is eventually down the road is going to say, there's a change here. We weren't like this before. The change must be God. And the goal is for this guy to what? Become a Christian. And God restores the home. Now we have 43 kids out here from this marriage. <laughs> <laughs> And the Bible says, second reason she should stay, if he wants to stay, is for the kids. 
because at least we have one Christian parent praying in the home. You got it? One ray of influence. So if you're a single parent today, there's one more ray of influence that you have. And the goal is for those children, I mean, if he leaves, what do we have? We have a single home again. And they miss either a mom or a dad. But if they stay together, these children, by God's will, come to understand Jesus Christ because there is an influence left in the home. You see how much God loves marriage? He's a pagan. He says, I don't want to stay. I'm not having anything to do with your God. I'm leaving. I don't care about it. The Bible says, for her, now what? If this guy says, I don't want to be married anymore, what does she do? She's free. And the scripture says, the words, she is not bound. The bound goes back to Genesis, where we talked about being one and glued together. So what God says, if the unbeliever departs, then she is free to marry again. Because she can't keep him there. He's going to depart anyway. So she is now free to marry again. Now, who would she marry? Only a believer! Hello! (laughs) We have people that get free and go marry an unbeliever again. Well, (laughs) come on. So do you understand it? So that second thing, the second reason is for abandonment or desertion by an unbelieving spouse. Abandonment or desertion by an unbelieving spouse. Let me talk about three areas quickly, two areas of this. There are some people that have something called constructive desertion, which means this. And I think you have to be very careful when you get to this area. We can't add to the Bible, but I believe some of these things do make sense, and you'll have to make the decision for yourself, because we have people saying, well, my husband's deserted me, am I verbal, and all kinds of things that go from A to Z. Constructive desertion means this, basically. Let's say the husband is physically abusing the wife, beating the wife. Do you believe God calls a wife to stay in a home where she's being beat? Absolutely not. Never. Look at verse 15, and you'll see the reason for that. But if an unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances because God has called them to live what? In peace. So God would never require... A spouse to stay in a marriage where she or he are being abused, beaten, whatever. I have people that have come in in the past and feel that it's their God responsibility to tough it out. I say to them, let me call the police for you. And if you're a man here and you're beating your wife, you need help. You won't be stood in this church. You need help. We don't have men beating wives. That's not submission, that's sick, and it's sin. We love you, but we will not tolerate that kind of thing in this church. So don't come to us and think it's okay. It is not okay. The second area is 1 Timothy, verse 5, chapter 8 says this, If a husband doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. So if you have a husband that says, Well, I, you know, I'm not talking about somebody who gets laid off for three weeks talking about somebody that just refuses to provide for the family. The wife's having to work two jobs, she's never home, there's all kind of abuse going on, and the husband just sits around and and watches TV or whatever and refuses to get a job. The scripture says to me, you're worse than an infidel. He may be in the marriage, but of course he's got a good thing. She's providing everything. But has he abandoned her a long time ago? So there's another one of those areas. Now let me say this, anytime you come to an area where you believe you're on the place where you should get divorced, I think if if you go to this fellowship, I think you need to come see one of the elders or myself, 
And we certainly would never tell you what to do, but we will point you to the scriptures, try to give you guidance. You have to pray, you have to fast, you have to make a decision. It's a very, very tough decision. It is not like, here's one, and here's two, and here's three, we're out of here. That's what the world does. No, you're in this for life. And if God wants to release you from that, there are ways to do that. That's his grace. But then we would ask you to contemplate it very seriously. It's not something we just do off the cuff. The third reason, turn to first, 2 Corinthians 5.17 quickly. The third reason I believe that, and this really has to do with more with remarriage than it does with divorce. Let's read it, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Marriage and divorce prior to becoming a Christian. Marriage and divorce prior to becoming a Christian. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So I believe this scripture says just exactly what it means, and it's this. If you were divorced four years ago, and just last year you came to know Jesus Christ, I believe your past has been forgiven. You're a brand new person in Jesus Christ. You start fresh from that place, and you're allowed to remarry who? A believer. You got it. Now, there is a chance that if you come to Jesus Christ and you were divorced from your spouse and your spouse has not remarried and they desire to go on with the marriage now that they've seen the change in you or whatever, I think you have to pray about that. Could that be messy? Yep. But God likes messes. He just corrects them. Do you know, you need to understand the power of God. So what this is saying is when we come to Jesus Christ, the old is gone. You'll see that in a moment. I want to say this to you this morning. Don't ever discount the power of God. In this fellowship, in all of our services, are people sitting here next to you that have gone through adultery, all kinds of things. They're sitting next to you this morning restored by God's grace. Didn't come from my counseling, came from God's grace. You don't know who they are, none of your business. But they know who they are, and they're perfect pictures of God's power. Don't ever, ever discount God's power. This case is too difficult. Impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. In the book of John, we have a story one day of Jesus going through a little town called Samaria. And the disciples have gone off to buy some Big Macs in town, and Jesus is at the well. And as he's at the well, he meets a lady. And she's alone because of her background and what she's thought about in the community. Let me just read it for you. And Jesus told her, go and call your husband and have him come back to the well with you. The woman, not wanting to share her history and her sins and her background, said to Jesus, I have no husband, is a partial truth, which we call a lie. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. She was right. Then Jesus says, through a word of knowledge, the fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you are living with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Isn't God generous? He didn't say, you big liar. He just let her know he knew. You see, you're here today and you go, nobody knows. <laughs> Sorry, my friend. He knows. And she is very astute. Listen to what she says. Sir, I see you're a prophet. 
No kidding. Now, this lady had been abused. Married, divorced five times, or death in there, we don't know. The man she's living with is not even her husband. If you met this woman, or man, at the water fountain at work, how would you treat him? Would you go back to your desk and so, you know, is that the water fountain? It's the gal that's got loose morals. She sleeps with anybody. She's been married and in and out of marriage. I didn't even want to drink after at the fountain. She's just one of those people. You know, that's what the church does today. It's what the church is known for. If you're a Christian, here's what the word means. Christ-like. Is that right? So let's see what Jesus said after he knows her history. Because it makes much difference. And here's what you're going to find with Jesus. He meets her at this well. And here she is right here. This is her past. Five marriages, the guy she's living with isn't even her husband. You know where Jesus takes her from? Right here to the future. He says to her, really, I don't care about your past. You see, I'm going to offer you something you've been looking for a long time. When we're born, we're created with two areas. Unless you have the gift of singleness, you're created with two areas in your life of emptiness. The first is marriage. God creates within you. Adam was lonely until Eve came. Marriage fulfills that. But marriage really only fulfills it if the first emptiness in your life is filled. And the first emptiness is God. There's a heart-shaped vacuum from God in your life. And as God comes and He is your Lord and Savior, you'll never find completeness in life. And this is what this gal had been doing for all her life. She'd been going from one bed to another bed to another relationship to another relationship. She finally gave up and they're just sleeping with a guy and living with a guy because there was no completeness. Why? Jesus says, I offer you a relationship that will satisfy you for life. It's personally knowing me as Lord and Savior. And see, he said, I don't care about your past. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things can become new. Would we treat it that way today? You see, we're very judgmental. But Jesus said in the book of Matthew, if we even look at a woman or a man with lust, you've already committed adultery. Hello? Hello? So who are we? So he tells her that, and she goes, this is incredible. She runs into town, brings all the people back, and says, I found the answer to life. It's the Messiah. I don't understand everything, but I do know this. Something happened in here, and her life was changed. A brand new start right where she was. See, psychology says, let's go to the past, and let's dig up these five things, and we'll bring you back 40 times, and we'll... Jesus says, no, let's just forget the past and start forward. Which do you like? I like a fresh new start, don't you? Who can do that? Only Jesus. I can't do it. No counselor can do it. But he will take you where you're at and go forward if you'll allow him. Today, Pastor Mark took us through the problems in marriage. When one partner becomes a believer, the other does not. Even through this conflict, God desires that we stay together. He also reminded us of the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus' compassion for her. As followers of Christ, we also should have compassion on those who have made missteps in their marriages. 
There can be repentance, forgiveness, and moving on. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark teaches from Mark where he points to God's intentions for children, both in how they're raised up and their personal relationships with Him. We will hear about the impact of the world on children and God's expectations of them. We will be challenged because for us to communicate the fulfilling, loving nature of a relationship with God, we have to have one ourselves. We wish we had more time today, but we will pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living.